Well, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is beginning this discourse on the character and qualities of the people of the kingdom of God. And you can read the whole chapter in its entirety for yourself, but he starts out by talking about how the people of the kingdom, the people who are the greatest, are the ones who walk in humility. And he likens them to a child because you know, children always have to yield to uh, somebody else's way. And he says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to humble yourself like a child. And he goes on to talk about the value of children and how valuable and precious their lives are. And he warns against people who would offend or sin or hurt little children. And he even talks about the importance of keeping yourself free from sin. And his goal in all of this is to really point to the importance of restoration and relationships. He goes on to talk about how to make relationships right when you've been wronged. And in the middle of this entire theological discourse, right when Jesus is at the crescendo of his point, Peter, if you can imagine Peter, in the middle of Jesus' message, gets up and interrupts him and says, Jesus, I've got a question. I know you're talking about restoration of relationships, but there's something I need your help with. And this is what we see in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. If you're there, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, before I get into the hardest message, I just got to say, like, everybody looks awesome today. You guys look amazing out there. And I can't see you online, but I'm just believing by faith that you look awesome I believe you put on your Sunday best to watch this message from your bedroom. But as awesome as you look, as awesome as I believe you look, I know that there's some of you, even behind those masks, you, you came into church a little angry today. Some of you even are sitting next to the person that you're angry with. I mean, don't elbow them right now. Just keep looking ahead. I want to keep it holy. I'm still, there's a reason that my wife and I drive separate to church in the morning. I don't want to be in a fight before I get up to preach to you. But I want to use this passage today to help you settle what's bothering you. I, I want to use this text where this, this servant who's been forgiven of an incredible debt to help you move past the hurts and the pains that you're carrying. And I want to do it by helping you understand 
how the kingdom culture applies to your relationships. What your relationships are to look like in the kingdom of God. This, this passage where the servant has this incredible debt canceled. I want to use this text to speak to you from this subject. And if you're taking notes, I'm calling this message today canceled. Canceled. In fact, I could use your help preaching this a little bit. So if you just want to help me, let me know that you're out there. You can talk back to me a little bit. I want you to look at the person you're sitting next to and just with every fiber of your being, stare into their soul and tell them, you are canceled. You can type it in the chat. You are canceled. If you're watching this on Facebook, people are going to have no idea what you're talking about, but just let somebody know that they've been canceled. We're going to have some fun. I'm so glad that you're here. I know there's a lot of you checking us out for the first time, maybe online, I don't know, invited by a friend. Maybe you knew that church was open and you're looking to connect in church. Whatever brought you here today, I believe that it's not an accident. I believe God wants to use this message to speak to your heart, speak to your soul, and change your life. You're going to leave different than the way that you came in. I want to pray before I get into God's word. Would you just bow your head with me? And I just ask, I don't always do this, but just as a posture, just hold out your hands like you're going to receive something from God today as we pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that every time we open up your word, you speak. And God, that's what I want to go forth today. I don't want it to be my words, my ideas, my agenda, my opinion, God. But I want your word to heal hearts, your word to bring hope, your word to restore relationships, your word to bring reconciliation. I thank you for it, God. And everybody who agrees with that can say in Jesus' name, amen. You know, canceled is a word that is incredibly familiar in our world, especially over the last seven months. I mean, as soon as this pandemic hit, everything was canceled. Birthday parties, canceled. Vacations, canceled. Graduations, canceled. Proms, canceled. Conferences, canceled. I mean, I could keep going. I think they canceled toilet paper production. They canceled everything during this. And truth is, things are still being canceled. I mean, I just had a meeting a couple weeks ago. I was supposed to meet with a guy, and, and he canceled because he was having some symptoms. Canceled has just become a normal part of our life, normal way of life for so many of us. But as normal as canceling has become, it should never become normal in our relationships. And I want to let you know I'm speaking from experience here. And uh, before I set up this story for you, I just need you to participate a little bit. How many of you have a guilty pleasure? Can you be honest in church, a guilty pleasure? I'm not saying something sinful, okay? I'm just saying like, like a guilty pleasure. Like you're not proud of it, but you enjoy it, okay? Can I just see your hand? You've got a guilty pleasure. I've got a guilty pleasure. Uh, I'm not going to share mine with you because I've got the mic in my hand. But I'll just mention a few. You know, maybe, maybe your guilty pleasure is, um, is around food. Like, you're, you're the kind of person that uh, eats ice cream right out of the carton, like in bed, right, in your underwear. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know about that. But I'm just saying, like, that, that could be some of you. Some of you, uh, you could be Mr. Keto, and yet you still will throw down on some McDonald's fries. That is your guilty pleasure. Um, 
Some of your guilty pleasure is you watch The Bachelor. And, uh, you know, you should be ashamed of that, honestly. That's, you better not be proud of that. Uh, there's all sorts of guilty, just not evil, just, you know, not proud of the fact. I'm not here to talk about my guilty pleasure, but I do want to talk about my wife's, at least one of them. And that's uh, what I get to do. And, no, truthfully, she, she told me I could, I could share this story, so I'm, I'm not um, embarrassing her. I might embarrass her a little bit, but I did get her permission before I got up here. Um, because my wife has a guilty pleasure, and there's probably many, but one of them, uh, of her guilty pleasures, is pizza, a particular kind of pizza. And before I share this with you, can I say, like, there's so many great pizza places in Lawrence. Like, I love the food here, and there's many that we, we frequent and order from, but there is one place in particular that is just a, a guilty pleasure for my wife, and it is Casey's Gas Station pizza. <laughs> Don't clap for that. That is not to be applauded. I'm just saying of, of all the places you could order pizza from, the, the, the smorgasbord of options available at your fingertips that she would choose, that she would desire to order Casey's gas station pizza. And to kind of set this story up for you, I mean, my wife, she, she does a lot. Of course, she leads in our church and man, manages so much, you know, at home. And, and just there's a lot involved with being a pastor's wife and my wife. And we have four kids and all of that. Well, it's one of these weeks where she had had a lot on her plate, a lot on her leadership responsibilities. She had had a lot of family demands, a lot of stuff with our kids' school, a lot of things to manage with, within her household, a lot of things that I needed from her. And on top of all that, she had a... a baby shower that she had planned and prepared and, and doing all this stuff for. And, and it had been a full week. And often as the things go, when you have so many things on your plate, there's going to be a number of things that do not go as planned. And she had had some frustrations. And, you know, it was Sunday. And at the end of this long day where she had meetings and all these different things to go to, she was looking forward to this one guilty pleasure of ordering a Casey's pizza. A barbecue beef Casey's pizza. Now, see, that is gross. Can we just agree that is gross? I, I would never eat that. But this is, her, this is her thing. So it's her story, her time to shine. Uh, that's why I was so surprised when she came in hours later than what I expected, frustrated, slamming the door. Okay, maybe exaggerated a little bit, but slamming the door. And she exclaimed, Casey's is dead. It is dead to us. It is dead to me. I'm never getting my gas there. We are never getting candy for the kids there. And we are never going to order pizza from Casey's again. Casey's is canceled. Now, you got to know, like my wife, she is one of the sweetest people that you will ever meet. Until she gets hungry. And she has been really hungry lately. Can you pray for me, please? <laughs> no, she's very kind. But in this moment, I'm not going to go into the details of what happened with Casey's because this is not a sermon on an, an indictment of Casey's. You'll have to ask her about it. But some things happened, and she arrived with no pizza. Let's put it that way. Hours later, she was frustrated. Casey's is canceled. And I said, babe, this is, this is not who we are. Like, like, we are 
We are grace people. We extend love and compassion and mercy. What, what is the deal with, with canceling Casey's? And after I got her some food and she was able to calm down, we went and talked it over. And as silly as the story might be, I think we all have a Casey's story. Something being canceled. A relationship. A hurt. And even though this might be a silly example, the truth is yours might be severe. I'm glad we can laugh at this, but yours might not be so laughable. Some of us have endured some things that no human should have to endure. Some of us have been betrayed. Some of us have been abused. And I'm not even talking physically. There's some of us that have. Some of us have been wounded by words, lied to. I know that they're just by the nature of the audience in this room, and even those of you watching online, there are people in this room right now who have endured things that no human should have to endure. And even if you're here today and you think, that's not me, I don't even know that this message applies to me, Jesus said that offenses will certainly come. There are going to be, there is going to be a moment, there are going to be times that, that you are wronged, that you are sinned against. And I want to help you today know how to take a kingdom approach to a cancel world. And that's what's going on in the text. Because when Peter introduces this subject, you can tell he's got something on his mind. I don't know if you know much about Peter, but I mean, Peter is not the intellectual of the group. Peter is a act first, think later kind of guy. Peter is the guy that, like, he's the one who jumps over the side of the boat when Jesus says come and walks on. Well, he doesn't think through how is this going to work. He just does it. He's the guy that speaks up when everybody else is silent. Peter is the guy that when they came to take Jesus, which Jesus said was going to happen, Peter's the guy who draws a sword and cuts off the guy's ear. And by the way, he wasn't aiming for the guy's ear. I mean, just think about that. Like, you don't aim, you're trying to cut off his head, and the guy ducked. That's Peter. So when he says to Jesus, "Um, Lord, you're talking about restoration of relationships. I've got a question for you. How many times should I forgive my brother or sister that sins against me? Seven? This isn't a hypothetical for him. In fact, I would present to you that Peter is probably talking about one of the disciples in his group. I don't know if you ever thought, like one of the other followers of Jesus, one of the other people that Jesus chose. I don't know if you know this, but the disciples were a little bit dysfunctional. Like, like when Jesus chose them, they came from different backgrounds. I mean, Matthew, the one we're looking at, he was a tax collector. Nobody liked tax collectors. Have you ever thought about what it must have been like to be Matthew? Because there's so many times Jesus would say something, let that person be like a tax collector to you. Matthew's like, excuse me, like I'm right here. (laughs) That's Matthew, right? And not only Matthew, I mean, they had different backgrounds. They had different personalities. We know Peter's not the intellectual. He's a person of action. We know that they had different perspectives and motives, right? 
I mean, Judas had different motives. He was kind of in the thing for himself. These guys were dysfunctional. We know that there was conflict among them. We know that there was competition among them, particularly between Peter and John. I mean, John is the guy, you got to get this. Like when John wrote his gospel, he referred to himself in the third person, and he always referred to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Like, do you think that's not like a little dig on Peter? Because these guys were always like, hey, who's Jesus' favorite? And he's, hey, the disciple who Jesus loved, five times, by the way, he put that in his gospel. Not only that, when he writes about the resurrection, like the greatest moment, the whole point of the gospels, he says, also, uh, Peter and I ran to the tomb. I got there first. Just want to let you know who's fastest. This is the disciples. I'm pretty sure Peter was thinking about John saying, um, and he kind of masks it because, like, you know, when you don't really want to call somebody out, you just want to kind of call them out. Like, like you try and wrap it a little bit. Like sometimes, you know, maybe somebody said something to you or said something about a person and you kind of agree with them. So you want to go up to them like, hey, um, people have been saying. People? Really? Like one person? Like you and one person? It's like, Jesus, my, my uh, how, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister if they offend me? Seven times? Seven? And you know, Peter, he was thinking like, I'm going to get a gold star for this question. Because you got to understand, like rabbinical tradition at the time, it said that you should forgive somebody three times. You've done three times You've completed the extent of the law. I mean, that fourth time, let's be real. Four, you're canceled. You're done. By the fourth time, you are insincere. So Peter says, hey, my brother sins against me seven times for the same offense. Is that enough? Seven? Jesus must have blown his mind. Because Jesus says to him, I don't tell you seven times. I'm going to tell you 77 times, or sometimes I should say 70 times 7. And the point that Jesus is trying to make, this is the first thing I want you to write down, is Jesus is saying, look, Peter, you got it all wrong. In relationships, no one wins when you keep score. You, you, you're, you're trying to get into this system of weight-counterweight. Balance, counterbalance, credit, debit. Who does more? Can I just tell you, Peter, nobody wins when you keep score. And if you want to understand how relationships work in the kingdom of God, you got to figure this out right off the bat. It's not seven times. It's 77. Now, Jesus was not saying 78th time, punch him in the face. They deserve it. That's, that's not the point. What he's saying is seven is God's number, right? It's the number of perfection. It's the, the number, this number of completion. It's the Enneagram that nobody likes, right? Seven. <laughs> but, I mean, God likes it because it's his number, but seven. So Peter was thinking, seven? No, Jesus says completion times completion. Perfection times perfection. 
if you want to forgive somebody, it's whatever it takes. You got to do whatever it takes. And I'm just trying to help you because Jesus wants to take the lid and the limit off the grace that will extend others. We've got it wrong when we come into relationships with this system of what's convenient, how much is too much, what's the extent, what's the limit. And a lot of us approach our relationships like there is a limit to our love. And Jesus says, you want to understand how kingdom culture works in your relationships? You understand how the people of God, the characteristics, their qualities, you are going to have to approach this with a new standard. And he does it by telling a story. Again, Peter is not the brightest guy. It's like, Peter, let me bring it down to your level. Here's, here's a story. I think you can understand this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And I want to stop here and point out to you that this is a picture of the gospel. Jesus is king. In the kingdom, Jesus is king. And God's heart is always towards reconciliation. God wants you to be reconciled with him. We think about reconciliation as a relationship term, but honestly, it started out as a banking term, as a finance term. Reconcile, it means to, to bring together in harmony. Think about it this way. He says there is a king who wants to settle accounts. He wants to reconcile with his servants. What is reconcile? Well, in banking, you have a ledger, a chart of accounts. You've got debits and credits. And I know most of us don't do this anymore because we do all of our banking on our app, which is tied directly to everything. But you typically, you know, you'd have your ledger and you would bring in the master ledger and you would compare it and you would make these things agree. You would reconcile. You'd bring them into harmony. That's what Jesus wants to do with you. That's God's heart for you. He wants you to be reconciled to him. He wants restoration and reconciliation. And it says in verse 24 that as he began the settlement, there was a man who came in. He owed him 10,000 bags of gold and just brought to him. Now, some translations say 10,000 talents. That's how I always learn the story. And usually we read that and we're like, hold up, what's a talent? because we don't use that kind of measurement anymore. Well, talent was not actually a coin. We think of it as a coin, but a talent was a unit of measurement. It was a measurement of weight. So you could have a talent of silver. You could have a talent of gold. You could have different kinds of, of talents. This, in this case, it's a talent of gold. And a talent, the typical weight, was the average weight of a person. So if you had a talent, it was worth your weight in gold, basically. And a talent also, another way to think about it, was 20 years wages, what you would earn in 20 years. But even that's not accurate because really you think about in Bible times, this was talking about what you would earn in your lifetime. A talent was your life's work. And so this servant comes in and Jesus says he owes 10,000 talents. He wasn't trying to put a number on it. He was basically saying, this guy owns a bajillion, squillion dollars. Too much money for you to measure. Too much money for you to count. You can't fathom this. You can't comprehend this. It's bigger than you can understand. That's how much money this guy owes. 10,000 
talents, 10,000 lifetimes of work, 10,000 times what he, his, his weight in value. That's what he owes. And since he couldn't pay this, verse 25, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, this is a picture of sin because our sin, what we've done, is unfathomable. We, we, in 10,000 lifetimes, if we tried to tip the scales, if we tried to make it right, if we tried to work it off, in 10,000 lifetimes, we couldn't get it done. That's how much this guy was, can't fathom it. And so when he knows that this is more than he can pay, more than he can do, and I just want to point out something to you about our sin, because it says that when he couldn't pay this, he and his wife and his children and all that he had was to be sold and repay the debt. See, your sin affects more than just you. I hear people say all the time, well, like, what's the, what's the big deal? I'm not hurting anyone by looking at pornography. It's just, just me. Your sin affects more than just you. This guy, his payment was coming due. And when he has to pay, now his wife and his children and everything he has is soul. Your sin affects more than just you. Well, when he knows he's not going to be able to pay this, he falls on his knees, verse 26. He says to the master, be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything. Why is this important? Because this is a picture of religion. Because most of us know if we took a poll, we, most of us know we fall short. Most of us know we've missed the mark. We don't need somebody to tell us this. We know in our heart that we've fallen short of God's standard. And when we fall short of God's standard, our, our go-to plan is I'll work it off. I'll pay it back. Maybe if I come to church more. Maybe if I serve on a team. Maybe if I give in the offering. Maybe if I'm more kind to people. Maybe if I do some good deeds, then I'll be right, but not in 10,000 lifetimes could you do enough to get right with God. So he says, be patient, I'll pay it back. But the master doesn't accept his offer because he knows this is impossible. So instead, the craziest turn of events, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. That's what God did for you in Christ. He took one look at you, one look at your sin, one look at your debt that you could never repay, and he said, canceled. Not you, but your sin. He wiped away your sin. He wrote off the debt. He didn't write you off. He wrote off the debt. He said, canceled. And that's where I stopped reading, but that's not where the story ends. And you would think, most of us would think that this guy who's been forgiven so much, a bajillion, squillion dollars. He's been forgiven so much that he would immediately want to pay it forward. But that's not what happens. Because once you have a payback mentality, it's really hard to break out of it. 
He says, God, be patient with me. I'll, I'll pay it back. And if your relationship with God is all about payback, you'll have a hard time giving grace. If you're thinking about what you got to do to get right with God, you'll always be thinking about what others got to do to get right with you. When your relationship with God is always about merit, you'll have no room for mercy. And this is the point I want you to write down, that when you live by a ledger, you die by your debts. If you choose to relate to God by this system of credits and debits, when I do good, God loves me. When I do bad, God hates me. You will die by your debts. Because it says in verse 28, when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now, again, the exact dollar amount is not what's important here. But I'll explain it to you because it helps give context. The technical amount was a hundred denarii. A denarius, that's one of those, was a day's wage. So a talent would be your life's work. A denarius would be your day's work. One guy owes 10,000 talents. One guy owes 100 denarii. That's kind of interesting. I was thinking about this. 100, what would that be exactly? You know, it's 100 days of work. It's three months' salary. Different amounts for different of us might be, you know, if you're a college student, it might be 200 bucks. But if you're, you know, the average person, maybe a few thousand, maybe several thousand. I was thinking about how 100 denarii, it's not insignificant. Like if it's a few thousand dollars, that's significant. Three months salary. Think about you immediately have three months salary of debt you have to pay off. That's a lot. But you could pay it off. It might take you some time. It might take some years. But you could be reconciled. The truth is, for most of the offenses that come our way, most, reconciliation is possible. Like, a person can work towards it. That they can earn back your trust. It's not going to happen overnight. It might take years. But reconciliation is possible. But in this case, where this guy owes what is not insignificant, the servant that was forgiven of so much, hasn't changed his mind. And if you remember, the first thing Jesus said when he came to preach the gospel of the kingdom is repent. In other words, change your mind. you got to change your thinking about, you want to receive the kingdom? You can't think the old way. You can't think the normal way. You've got to change your heart. You've got to change your mind. And that's where a lot of us are at. We're, we haven't changed our mind. We're living by a ledger system. So what this guy does, he, he grabs him, begins to choke him, and he says, pay back what you owe. And this guy who was forgiven of so much now finds somebody who owes him something so insignificant in comparison. I just want to say that to you. What that person has done to you compared to the debt of our sin to God is in significant. He finds somebody that in comparison to the debt he owed is so insignificant and he wants to take matters into his own hands. 
And what I thought was interesting is he grabs him, begins to choke him, demands instant payment. He goes from debtor to collector in a moment. But what I thought was interesting is it says that he went out and found, meaning he was looking for somebody. And I know that this parable, it's, it's talking about forgiveness in the sense of debits and credits and financial terms, but the reality, it started with a question of offense. Peter says, how often should I forgive? And just like this servant went out and found, I would tell you most of us are looking for a reason to be offended. We are, we're looking for, that is why you watch the news channel you watch. You are looking for a reason to be offended. That is why you follow the people you follow on social media. You are looking for a reason to be offended. And he found him, but it wasn't to cancel his debt. He was going to make him pay. Pay the price. Well, this servant, his fellow servant, he fell on his knees. He begged him and said, be patient with me. I'll pay it back. Now, we've seen this scene before. This is the exact same words that he uttered moments earlier when he was in the hot seat. But now that the tables have turned, he can't see it. And all this guy needs in this moment is just a little bit of grace. And I always thought, like, when I've read this passage, that this, this servant, the one that was forgiven so much, I thought maybe he's just a bad guy. Maybe he's an evil guy. I mean, the parable's called the unmerciful servant. But what I realized, maybe, maybe he wasn't a bad guy. Maybe he left the king thinking that he was still going to pay it back. Here's somebody. It's only a thousand compared to what, but I'm going to pay it back. I don't think he really got it. Because if you get it, you give it. If, if you really understand what you've been forgiven of, you give it. If you really understand how God has canceled your debt, you forgive. And I'm wondering if maybe he's so stuck in this religious mindset, that's why he's going after this guy. I got to pay it back. He never understood how his debt had really been canceled. I just tell you, I mean, some of you, I want you to get this, that were it not for the grace of God, that you'd be destined for hell. And I don't just mean what happens when we die. I mean, some of you, if not for the grace of God, you would be experiencing hell on earth. There's different levels of hell. Some of you, if not for the grace of God, your life would look completely different. Some of you, if not for the grace of God, you wouldn't be here today. Some of you, you know, despite your constant failures and every time you mess up, God has still been good to you. And even if you're here today and you are not a follower of Christ, God is so good to you that he brought you here today so that you could hear his message and receive his forgiveness. I'm trying to help you see God has been good to you. I just want you to receive it today. This guy was unwilling to accept the fact that God wiped his slate clean. The king wiped his slate clean. Jesus looked at you, looked at your debt, looked at your sin, took one look, and he said, canceled. Not you, but your debt. What you could never earn, what you could never work off, but he had the power to do. And I want you to receive it because this servant didn't. It says in third, verse 30, he refused. 
Instead, what he did, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And this is the world's culture. This is what we do. I'm going to make you pay for what you did. And I'm not talking about what some celebrity did or what some CEO did or what some business did or what somebody that you've read about did. See, the kingdom of God always comes close to you. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is in you. It's in your heart. The kingdom of God is always close. This whole story started with Peter asking the question about my brother or my sister. And some of us will put people in prison, put a friend in prison, put a spouse in prison because of something that they did three years ago. We will imprison somebody emotionally because of something somebody else did and take it out on the person that had nothing to do with it. And here's the thing with payback. If you insist by living with this system of payback, you're going to be the one punished. Because when you live by the ledger, you die by your debts. Let's keep reading. It says, when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. All because this guy tried to get his due. He tried to take matters into his own hands. And anytime we're taking matters into our own hands, it brings retaliation. But if we leave matters in God's hands, it brings reconciliation. God's heart is for reconciliation. God wants to settle accounts. He wants you to be reconciled to him, and he does it by canceling your debt. This guy, though, wanted to take matters in his own hands. So he took his hands and he put them around the neck of this other guy, said, you have to pay. But he was the one who ended up paying. And Jesus ends the story by saying, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You want to know what you got to do, Peter? You got to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you'll be the one who pays. But if you'll forgive, I'll be the one who pays. If you think you got to work for it, you're going to make others work for it. If you think you got to pay for it, you're going to make others pay for it. And I think sometimes the reason we won't forgive is because we think that it's going to let people off the hook. We think that it's accepting what they did. It's saying it's okay. One of the things I noticed this time, I'd never thought about this before until this week when I was studying, is that the servant that owed a hundred denarii, a few thousand bucks, you know, it's not like he got out of jail just because the other servant went to jail. They both ended up in jail. 
from the text, it doesn't say he got out. He still had to go pay off his debt, work it off. And I'm just trying to point out to you that when you cancel somebody's debt, it's not saying that what they did was okay. It's not saying that what they did wasn't wrong. It's not saying that what they did wasn't evil. All it is saying is that you accept the blood of Jesus as full and satisfactory payment for what they did. 